All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Back with me, as always, on a Friday. Super producer Brandon Newman on the ones and twos. And my father, Mike Golick Sr. And, uh, Dad, you're just going to keep it rolling with the USA gear. We're coming back from Colorado Springs. We were out at the training facility. And you and I both completely loaded up with one major exception of the gear at that shop. Yeah, we did. And I'll wear it uh, each piece every day for all the pieces that I got. Today is my... Uh, USA, brightly colored USA, large lettered USA, short sleeve uh, shirt. So very happy with it. Very, very. I still have like a baseball shirt uh, as well that I'll be wearing. So yeah, love wearing the new gear uh, and certainly had a chance as I was watching the hockey game last night to change into a few different outfits, you know, and do a few different things. And quite honestly, if you had insomnia Last night was the perfect night to have insomnia because you could flip on a live sporting event that would carry you. When you're normally watching like QVC at 2 or 3 in the morning, you could be watching live sporting event, which is the coolest thing. As We've talked about this forever. and we got obviously a ton to talk about with basketball and golf. But, man, when you have a four-overtime game in game one, game one of a potential seven games in the series in the Eastern Conference Finals between Florida and Carolina, and you go four friggin' overtimes, man. That is some serious stuff to watch. Yeah, uh, he mentioned it. We got a great show. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, and uh, DraftKingsNetwork.com. Live from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Uh, And we're like the perfect time for Panthers fans that actually may be waking up at this point, if that's even possible. Maybe called in a little bit sick today or went into work late. Because (laughs) if you tried to stay up and watch all of that... uh, God's God is truly in your life this morning and has to do great things for you. It's another reminder what East Coast hockey fans go through. That game ended at 2 o'clock Eastern for both of those teams. And like you said, Dad, the ripple effect of that in that series, the Panthers get the win, rats all over the ice, they take the one nothing lead <laughs> in that series. But by the end of that, that looked like drunk stumbling around the ice. Like I landed, I was coming back, and I didn't land until the start of the fourth overtime. And so as soon as I land, I see everybody tweeting that some Somehow the hockey game is still going on. The best soundbite I heard was in the intermission going in between the third overtime period and the fourth overtime period. The in-stadium PA announcer can be heard over this uh, broadcast saying, I'm so, so sorry to everyone in the crowd. Like it, it, It bordered on irresponsible at the end. These guys are just... 
giving everything they have, but what they have left is not enough. And Kachuk finally mercifully ends this with about a minute and 12 seconds left to go in the fourth overtime. And I think saves it for everyone. And you saw him immediately sprint off into the tunnel. He was ready to get off the ice, off those skates, out of that gear as soon as humanly possible after that game. But now the ripple effect of having to go out and play the rest of the series with that loaded up into your legs in game one is incredible. I'm just going to correct you on one thing because I, I think it, it, it can be important. It wasn't a minute and 12 left. It was 12 seconds left. Ah, there 12 we go. There seconds we go. left in the fourth overtime. They were 12 seconds away from going to a fifth overtime. And I'm sure at that point, as the clock is counting down, you're probably thinking we're going to a fifth overtime. And Matthew Kachuk, again, making me feel old because his dad, Keith, started in the NHL in my last two years in the NFL. So we had crossover. We're in that generation of his career. This is his son, Matthew, who hits that game winner again with 12. I mean, everybody, everybody in that place had to be making that mental decision. Are we staying for another overtime or are we going home? And I, I would have to believe at that point, you would be thinking, I already stayed for four. Why wouldn't I stay for five? Or It would be interesting what people's mindsets were because they had to be thinking it was going to happen. But it does go. And for anybody that doesn't know, remember, overtime in playoff hockey is an actual period. So they played over two complete games. Two complete games last night. To Mike's point, he's right. These guys were, were sliding around like they were drunk on the ice. And it'll make it certainly better that you won that game but I can't imagine how the tiredness multiplied by a thousand when you lost that game and you played that long and you're down 0-1 in that series. I covered at, at one point what was the longest game in college football with the playoff system. Me and Bill Curry and Dave Barnett, I think it was Mississippi or Mississippi State and someone. We went, I believe it was six or seven overtimes. At that point, that was the longest one. It's been, it's been passed, but it's not nearly as long. It sounds ominous. But remember the overtime in college football, you start at the 25-yard line. You know, it's, it's meant to be short. It's not actual football like hockey is actual hockey. You're actually playing the game of hockey and football. And again, I've stated many times I can't stand college overtime because of the way it's played. But, you know, for, for the, the, the young men at this age, they're trying to, you know, move the game along and get it over. And they've even tried to, you know, speed it up even more. But I remember that we did the same shots of people in the stands that were that were kind of snoozing. But this was so much longer, as you mentioned, almost two in the morning, and people are going to have to get up and go to their job. Luckily for both these teams and these players, this was their job, so they were going to get to sleep after it. So many of those people had to leave that arena and go to work today. They're sitting at work right now like zombies. Yeah, I think that decision is between overtime two and three if you're going to pull the plug or if you're going to stick with it. Because at a certain point, <laughs> you right. recognize you're getting into historical territory. Like, this ended up being the sixth longest Stanley Cup playoff yes. game yep. ever played. So you were venturing into territory of the absurd, and there's a part of all of us that I think wants to stick around and be a part of something like that if it's going to go that sideways. And, and, and remember, in the first overtime, this game was almost over twice. Two times in the first overtime, which is more what you would expect. Carolina first, I mean, they got an open shot, basically an open shot, and that they hit the crossbar. So that not, nothing that, that would have ended a game. And then Florida actually scored a goal, but it was ruled goalie interference. One of the players ended up in the blue. Then now the decision was, was he pushed or was he helped in the blue? But his skate made contact with the goalie skate. So that was ruled goalie interference. So the goal, actually, I mean, the announcers were talking about Florida wins game one. The players were on high-fiving each other on the ice. And then it goes to review automatically there. And then it's waved off. And nothing like waving off in the first overtime, knowing you basically played an entire game after that. Second overtime, third overtime, and almost the fourth complete overtime. What a difference of that split-second called off to a whole nother hockey game being played. It is astounding, the endurance these guys have. 
Well, and the mental part of that, because that's just false summits right there, right? You think you're getting up to the yes. peak, and then all of a sudden you get up there, and there's even more mountain to go for these guys. So uh, they all have my respect. It is going to be, I'd imagine, as anyone watching or listening to this live on the DraftKings Network, following us is, I'd imagine, going to be the most raucous group of human beings on the planet. Yeah. Because in a 24, well, I guess it was probably a little more than 24-hour span, you had the Miami Heat take game one on the road against the Boston Celtics, and then the Panthers take game one in this series in the Stanley Cup playoffs also. So Miami sports having themselves a little bit of a moment right now. Last night, sort of a wild child, but Jimmy Butler leading the Heat. It's uh, They're going to be a problem today. I have to imagine Mike Ryan's going to be in rare form. So y'all make sure you enjoy that one and check them out. But uh, yeah, Dad, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's a ter- terrifying force of nature up there. We talked about this a little bit yesterday uh, with Charlotte and the Miami fans there. The, the one thing we know is when it's going well, they're going to do about as well as anybody, so make sure you check all them out. But, uh, Dad, we also had game one of the – or, excuse me, game two of the Western Conference Finals last night, unfortunately. Brandon Newman's Los Angeles Lakers now down in an 0-2 hole. And I will say this because I was thinking about it this morning – this series has been incredibly entertaining despite the fact that it feels largely like playing out predictably right now. These are both right, two right. teams that have been exemplary at home. Nikola Jokic is playing like the best player on in the world right now. And we always thought with this Lakers team, at some point would the lack of time under task together, the lack of continuity relative to a team like the Denver Nuggets, maybe take hold. And I think we've seen late in both of these games – a little bit of that. I will be curious, Dad, if anyone does also go and start to bring up the altitude in this, considering we had weather discussions about the heat Nick series. If anyone's going to go and take the easy out and talk about the altitude with the Lakers fading at the back end of both of these games. I, I, I hope not. I, I hope they don't. But, <laughs> but, but some may. But that's exactly you know what happened. Well, we saw uh, the Lakers come back from a monster deficit in game one. Here they actually had the lead. Uh, at halftime by, what was it, five? I believe they were up five at half, and then um, they were still up three going into the fourth quarter. So, you know, you're right. There are some that are going to say they faded in the high altitude. Again, I don't know. You For you and me, we've both played up there, and you, you just go up there and play one game, you know, and that's it. You know, and, and you, we, as we've talked about, you do feel it in the beginning, but then, you know, you go on and you play the game. I've never had to play a series out there. But I just think Denver's the better team, but the Lakers are certainly making this good, close games. You know, the Joker goes for a whole hum, his 13th postseason triple-double, you know, where it's just kind of, it's just kind of expected now. And you, you, you talk about that for a second because you twist to Jamal Murray, who was the clear star of this game. Uh, 37 points, but 23 of them in the fourth quarter. He won this game, uh, and even the Joker admitted it. LeBron was even talking about it. Jamal Murray hitting shots after. This guy, you know, missed a ton of shots, what, 12 of his 17 shots in the first three quarters, and then when six of seven in the fourth with four threes. They, there's a team, they hit seven threes in the fourth quarter. So they, they actually came back on L.A. in that one in the fourth quarter and took control LeBron couple of turnovers late in that game, kind of like Tatum had for the Celtics late in, in their game one as well. Yeah, I have the Jamal Murray stat that to me illustrates the entire end story of this game. Hey dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. 
Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, so this to me was the most amazing part because last night's going to be the Jamal Murray game of this series, right? And it's not to say he won't have others, but this is the one that feels special until you realize yeah. that it's a part of a pattern because Jamal Murray last night, I believe uh, at the beginning of that game, was 5 of 17 through the first three quarters yes. of play. I think he was playing a little bit under the weather. He seemed like he was a little bit gassed and so just seemed like a relative non-factor in a game that was really close the whole way through. Through three quarters, this was a game back right. and forth until we hit like about 9-10 minutes left in the fourth quarter and then he started to go off. They got him and some dribble handoff action when Jokic got him a little bit of space on the perimeter and he started raining threes. You mentioned he had 23 of his 37 points in the fourth quarter. According to ESPN Stats and Info, it was his fourth career 20-point fourth quarter in the playoffs. The most of any player over the last 25 years. Dad, he's done that in three postseasons. Yeah. He has been a part of three postseason runs with the Denver Nuggets, and he has been more potent in the fourth quarter than anyone we've seen in the last 25 years. That is, as we talk about Jimmy Butler and the mental fortitude portion of the Eastern Conference Finals and the other side of the playoffs, Jamal Murray seems to have that to him. And you saw looked over last night after hitting one of those shots in the fourth quarter looked dead at Mike Breen and yelled his own bang right in his face it was one of the coolest <laughs> things I've seen in the playoffs how cool is that you got to feel if you're Mike Breen when the players are, are imitating you that is neat the, the problem with the, not a problem it's a great stat about him but the problem unfortunately for him he's been nicked up the last couple of postseason so we, we've kind of lost what his worth was in the postseasons because he because he had been hurt but here he's clearly you know the the robin and uh to the joker's batman and sometimes he's playing the batman role like he did last night you know in the fourth quarter you know and this is a game that even though denver won the first game everybody was talking about the lakers right oh okay the lakers came back they almost won this thing after being down big did they figure something out by having Hachimura guarding the Joker late in that game one? So would they start him, you know, in game two? They didn't. He still came off the bench but played 30 minutes. So there was a lot of talk on, even though the Lakers lost game one, they kind of figured it out, you know, and they're going to they're gonna put that into play in game two. And listen, they, it was, as we mentioned, they were up after half, they were up after three quarters, and it looked like, you know, they, they could steal one in Denver. By the way, Denver is undefeated in the postseason at home, and oh, now they're going to L.A., and the Lakers are undefeated at home in the postseason. By the way, the Denver is 41-8 and at home this year. Incredible record for them. But it, all the talk after Game 1 was still about the Lakers and how they may have figured out the adjustment to take care of Denver, and Denver said, nah, nah, they, they, play, they got a little closer, it was a little better, but we're still up 2-0 in this thing. I mean, it did take that act of God by Jamal Murray, but the game wasn't over then. What I will give the Lakers credit no. for is in both of these games, Denver's gone on late surges like this in the second half, and the Lakers have closed the gap. This was a three-point game again with like 30 seconds left to go in this game because Rui Hachimura decided to go dumb last night and hit everything yep. under the sun. That guy, when they talk about him, was defensively coming off game one, what he could do to allow Anthony Davis to go and roam, and they did a bunch of that in this game. They involved Jerry. Vanderbilt and that also putting him in the starting lineup to begin this game and Rui Hachimura decided oh no no I'm going to do this on the offensive end and I think it's been interesting watching the Lakers because it's really been 
who outside of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Austin bleeping Reeves is going to go off yes. in any given game because he's become the constant at this point. Austin Reeves going out and giving you 20-plus points a night has become yep. somewhat of the standard around Lakerland. And I know they did a bunch of the bioblast stuff with him, his journey coming up through from Wichita State going to Oklahoma and where his background is from in Arkansas. But dude has become the consistent force opposite those guys. You heard Mark Jackson and company for Bruce Brown on the other side side and Austin Reeves big time paydays coming up this offseason but that's sort of what you've got to start to try and predict right now for the Lakers away from home right because they're expected to handle business when we go back role players are expected to play well right. when you're at home in general but it's got to be who outside of really that group of three for the Lakers is going to be able to step up for you on the road again and it was Rui last night and it ends up not being enough because honestly dad late game execution by their stars to me was what undid them LeBron James with three bad threes bricked at the end of that game he hasn't made a fourth quarter three I think in the last 19 postseason uh, yeah LeBron James according to ESPN stats and info has missed 19 straight three-pointers in the fourth quarter going back to game two of round one this season so between his bad shot selection and then Anthony Davis who listen was going out and working his ass off on the glass, got up and was blocking and affecting shots. Defensively, we said that's been his constant. But offensively, towards the end of that game, some really bad decisions and critical moments as a passer near the top of the key, and then some rough shots missed in point-blank range. That, to me, they're two stars. Unfortunately, in those critical moments, they faltered where Denver's stars were able to go out there and accomplish and thrive. You're, you're right. I mean, those two guys were 13 of 34 from the field, including one of nine from four, a three-point land. LeBron missed all six of his, including the fourth quarter ones. You gave that stat. So that part of his game has not been clutch. They've been kicking it out to, to Reeves to hit the threes. He was, he was five of nine from three-point land. I mean, he was over 50% there, right at about 50% uh, at shooting uh, for the night. And Hachimura, you're right. As I said, he didn't start. A lot of people thought he might start. Comes off the bench. I think played 14 minutes in the first half, 30 overall. But 14 minutes in the first half had 17 points, was 7-7 seven to seven from the field. So while you like him on the defensive side, he was showing the offensive game as well. But as you mentioned, they faded. So are people going to bring up uh, altitude? I certainly am not. You know, do, do you bring up the age, you know, uh, of LeBron? In the case, LeBron had a, a breakaway layup. And the ball just slipped out of his oh, hand. Man. He got stripped of the ball later in, in the, uh, close to the end of that game when they were still in it as well. So, yeah, he had, he had his struggles near the end of the game. LeBron James missing that dunk and it slipping out of his hands was one of yeah. the most human moments for a player that's been decidedly alien for his entire career that we see. And there have been more of these these playoffs that go along. The superhuman moment from him and the one that will factor into what goes beyond this series was the rolled ankle that we got in the fourth quarter. LeBron yeah. James yeah. comes down on Anthony Davis's foot and it didn't look severe, but it was still remarkable no. to watch the way he moved after rolling that ankle, but now what it's going to do with the day in between how they're going to manage that with the quick turnaround there so we've got that to worry about with LeBron James and that side with the Los Angeles Lakers but coming up I do want to play a little bit of spicy nugget sound Mike Malone yes. and the Nuggets have been talking and that did not stop last night after their win in game two the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
All right, I want to play this sound because it's building off of a bit of a trend that we've seen. I think what tends to happen when we get a team like the Nuggets that people know has been good for a while, but largely has been good without personality, right? There hasn't been a ton of flavor to this team publicly. Certainly, they don't get covered all the time. Not a lot of people are watching them during the regular season because they've gotten that label of doing in the postseason, especially since Nikola Jokic has had all the success that he's had. But we've seen some edge from them between Jamal Murray on the player side and now their head coach, Mike Malone, who has continued to build on how he feels they're being treated. This was Mike Malone after the game last night talking about the way he believes his team is treated by the national media and others. Guys, to be honest, they may not admit this or not. You know, uh, you win game one of the playoffs and all everybody talked about was the Lakers. Let's be honest, that was a national narrative was, hey, the Lakers are fine. They're down 1-0, but they figured something out. No one talked about Nikola just had a historic performance. He's got 13 triple doubles now, third all time. What he's doing is just incredible, but the narrative wasn't about the Nuggets. The narrative wasn't about Nikola. The narrative was about the Lakers and their adjustments. So, you know, you put that in your pipe, you smoke it, and you come back, and you know what? We're going to go up 2-0. <laughs> the raspy voice coupled with the old manism really just makes it sing, Dad. That has to that has to hit you deep in the feels. Oh, that brought a tear to my eye. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That was awesome. That was awesome. And, and it's amazing. You look at both East and West Conference. It's way more understandable in the West for, in this case, we're talking about the media, questioning or... Again, Miami, are you playing with house money or how are you doing this? You were in the play-ins. And at that, at that point, no team in the play-ins ever made it into the playoffs. You were losing in the play the last play-in game. You had to come back and beat Chicago to get into the playoffs. And now you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You could see more questioning. And again, Jimmy Butler just waits for anybody in the media to light that fuse. And that's cool. That That's fine. But it's more understandable to say, wow, guys, you are... You're playing way better than a lot of us thought. But for Utah, they're the freaking number one seed. They are the number one seed. But it would be like if Sacramento was the number one seed or Portland was the number one seed, right? You just, you wouldn't get talked about. You, you wouldn't. It would always be if Golden State was still in it, it'd be them. It's the Lakers now in it, so it's them. And, you know, at, at some point, I could see the players on you on, on Denver saying, what the hell, guys? You know, we're the, we're the best record. We're the number one seed. We have arguably the best player in the game, arguably one of the best big men all time to have ever played this game. And after game one, all that was talked about was, yeah, the Lakers will figure that out at the end. We know what they're going to do to get back in this. And Mike Malone finally had enough, so he stuffed his pipe and told everybody to smoke it. <laughs> Which, by the way, and I know you corrected it there, but... Even in that segment, you almost just called them Utah. Like we lumped them in with the four quarter states that haven't gone and like but that that's that's exactly what it is. And yeah. it's why I understand people look at it and say this is Mike Malone manufacturing a chip on his shoulder the way that we see other championship yeah. teams do, but they don't get treated like other championship caliber teams nope. do. They haven't accomplished on that level yet. Right. But it really is sort of across the board. Like he mentioned it, and I'm sure he feels some of the red ass for Jokic, who got talked about a certain way during this regular season and now I mean I don't know again there's a lot of variables that go into winning a championship we've got so much basketball to go before that becomes a possibility for Denver but even if they don't I don't know how you can look at Nikola Jokic's performance and not talk a lot nicer about him to simplify it down to its purest form going into these coming seasons, he became the first player in NBA history with four straight 20-point triple-doubles in the postseason. He's averaging a triple-double for the postseason. And I know we kind of legislate this different coming off everything we dealt with with right, Russell Westbrook, right. who did it once during right. the regular season, and then it stopped being impressive to everybody because we get bored quick. But to do it in the postseason and have it continue to be correlated with winning like this, he's an impact guy. And so Mike Malone felt some type of way about that. He felt some type of way about the coverage I mean dad Lisa Salters went on the Rich Eisen show the other day and basically turned into the Shaq thing sorry I uh, for I didn't mean to I owe you an apology I wasn't familiar with your game to Nikola freaking Jokic saying she hadn't had a Denver game in a while and hadn't really gotten to see him this guy's pretty good like I'm all for honesty but it seems like in that spot 
it's another instance of the media kind of giving Denver bulletin board material in a way yeah. that's honestly got to kind of frustrate the Lakers because they haven't said a damn thing. No, they haven't. The, the Lakers understand how good uh, Denver is. I mean, and it, th- this this is not like Brady, you know, going down as a goat and all the rings that he has trying to manufacture bulletin board material, right? Trying to find a chip on his shoulder. Denver's being handed all this stuff, and, and, and you are correct, and it is mostly by the media. Sure as hell is not from the Lakers who understand what Denver is. It is. But I, and, but I think nationally, if, if everybody took truth serum, you know, and you, you just were talking to NBA, even hardcore fans, let alone casual fans, the Denver Nuggets don't jump up there as that team to see. You don't see them on TV a lot. It's kind of like Pac-12 football, right? When it's on late at night on the East Coast and a little earlier in the, in the Midwest or in Central time, but in East time, it's late. So a lot of times, that's, if you're living in the East, you probably don't have a team that's your team that's playing on the West unless your team is out there playing. So you're not watching it. So you're not familiar with what they do. You get to know a Jokic or a Murray just through everyday stats and talk. You know, when you're kind of skimming the, the treetops of talking about the sport, but you don't really know that team. And, and I think, you know, Lisa Salter's admitted that, and she's in the media and covers this uh, and talked about that. So imagine the casual fan, or like I said, even, even the hardcore fan, they're going to be so disinterested is the wrong word, just not knowledgeable about, about Denver just because they don't see them enough to really dive in on them and then, and then throw in the fact they're not one of the big-time teams that are thought about in the NBA when all they've done is had the best record. Yeah, but that's Mike Malone's bothered by the media aspect because now you had Mark Jackson yeah. leaving Jokic off his MVP ballot, yep. and then Lisa saying, this is really the first time I've had a chance to watch him play, and I've got to admit, I've been sleeping on this guy. He's spectacular. He's ridiculously good, who said she hadn't worked a game in Denver in the ba- about the last decade and couldn't recall watching Jokic on the road in the conference finals or in the bubble, also against the Lakers. So... That stuff popping up, I can kind of get why, again, because whenever athletes and coaches and all them say, oh, we don't pay attention to what people are saying on the outside, we know it's BS anyway. Most of these facilities have ESPN or one of these channels trained on the TVs yeah. inside of the facility at all times. And even if you're not listening, you see it in passing the way you do at a bar or the airport, and you just kind of take stock and go, okay, it's not the thing that's going to monopolize all of their time, but... Deep down in places, they don't talk about it. Parties, except for Mike Malone, who talks about it in the post-game press conference. Yeah, some of that stuff will tick you off from time to time, and you just sort of jot it down and add it to the list. And now it's got Denver in a position where they're up 2-0. So, Dad, based off what you've seen here, how far do you see this going? This screams Denver in six to me right now. But like you said, this has been a postseason where both these teams have held it down at home. So has anything that you've Listen. seen through the first two games of this series changed how you thought about that? No, listen, I, I think it can go that way. I think the home teams can win all their games. If that's the case, then it's going to go seven games and finish in Denver. That certainly could happen. The Lakers in game two, as we saw last night, were leading this game and, and playing pretty well and then, then give Denver the credit in the end, especially Murray. In game one, they were getting blown out and they came back. So they were competitive games. So I don't see that ending. I, I could see them winning their home games and it going seven, though I'd probably lean toward you and say if someone's going to steal one on the road, it's going to be Denver, and this could be over uh, in six. Uh, I, I do think Denver is, is the better team here. We've talk, we talked about this yesterday, but the, the last night the Lakers had their chance, right? And, and unlike game two, which was won by the road team in the Eastern Conference, where Miami won that one now, the Celtics are, are playing, obviously, to get back. And, so, and I fully expect the Celtics to win the, the second game, game two at home, and split it at home. But Miami, oh, Miami already won the home court. Um, yeah, I, I only if a team's going to win on the road in the West, I think it would be Denver winning in L.A. to, to help this thing end in six. But I'd love to see it go seven. Yeah, I think game four is the one to circle, right? Because we're on pace for another Anthony Davis offensive explosion. The odd game Anthony Davis phenomenon offensively has been very real. That's what I mean. You can kind of set your watch to certain things this series. And then game four, the one, the player I am most interested in for Denver as this series shifts back to Los Angeles is going to be KCP. Catavius Caldwell-Pope coming back home, former Laker, was there for the bubble season, got into a bunch of early foul trouble in this game, so was kind of reduced to a cheerleader 
cheerleader on the sideline for the vast majority of that game. Is he a guy that can maybe come and light it up? Because Murray and Jokic are the given at this point for the Lakers. So that's going to be exciting. I think they do take game three. I'm with you. They go back there. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, the, the big key, like we said, will be for a 38-year-old, what is yeah. the injury management like? Anyone, no one's going to do it better than him. Obviously, he's used to it. He's seen every situation. But he's still got an older body, just rolled that ankle, and now had time after the game to come down off of that high and that adrenaline rush, and now is going to have to uh, deal with that going into Game 3. So we'll get ready for that. Eastern Conference Finals Game 2, like you mentioned, coming up that we get to also watch tonight. Dad, I did want to shift over a little bit and talk about some college football. It's rare that we get to do that in this time of year where we're post-spring game season, we get past a lot of that, and now we're in the doldrums of summer school, everyone getting back to get ready to go out and work out on campus. But the business of college football refuses to sleep, and we mentioned a little bit the other day, we've got a weird dynamic at play in a couple of fronts on the realignment stage. Because the ACC, who we mentioned, has seven teams near the top of the conference. The Magnificent Seven, as they apparently dubbed themselves or someone uttered to Brett McMurphy. Which, side note, is one of the worst names. It's a reminder that these people are good at a lot of things business-wise. But some creativity in the world of college athletics is lacking. Because that's an objectively horrific nickname. And they need to basically outsource that to the people they interviewed on Broad Street for the Titan schedule release video if they want to do this right. Because that was an embarrassing effort. You stole it from a great movie. I mean, come on. Be original yourself in doing this. Well, didn't the AAC, didn't they put themselves in as the, as the power six? Didn't, they, didn't oh. they do that last year to try and make themselves say, no, it's not a power five, it's power six, and we're, we're in that. We're in that group. Yeah, so, I, I, mean, I appreciated it's, Mike it's, Oresco it's from the AAC yeah. trying to go yeah. power six, and then when that didn't work, writing an online manifesto that was like eight pages <laughs> long, the ultimate too long didn't read, that wanted to then just do away with the power five label. So first it was, hey, we're going to be in the power five too and make it the power six, and then when that didn't work, it's, hey, you know what? Everybody has value, not just us. Why would we do this power five thing anyway? So I can't imagine any of the other group of five conferences are looking at that and saying that's our king, considering he was willing to leave y'all out in the dust there not too long ago. I wonder if when he wrote his manifesto, if he was like Jerry Maguire, when somebody tried to bring it back up, he'd be like, no, 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 and, and try and stop the person, you know, from reading it. Uh, because that, it just kind of made you chuckle. And now you're right, Magnificent Seven. But hey, you know what? Bottom line is we're going to still see changes in conference play. Yeah, well, and that becomes the interesting part of this, Dad, is and there's been great reporting on this from guys like Richard Johnson over at Sports Illustrated, Ross Dellinger and company usually doing good work on this, but we see these top of the uh, teams at the top of the conference trying to flex despite the fact that it seems highly unlikely any of them would actually be able to pull out and leave. We've heard the buyout money uh, because of the grant of rights deal right. with a contract with the ACC network and ESPN that goes till 2036 would be in the nine-figure range, it sounds like. And I saw Richard Johnson bring this up that there's also copyright language built into their right. agreement where right. – if they left there, would they all of a sudden be in the uh, realm of copyright infringement playing in a different conference because they also handed over those rights in addition to their broadcast rights? So that gets extremely complicated in how teams might be able to do that. But, Dad, it's everyone right now, I think, trying to move things around on the ledger all as a result of what we saw happen with the Big 12, with the Big 10, excuse me, and the SEC, right? Because you had the Big 12 and the Pac-12 both, I think, in recent weeks hint at or talk about outright the idea that, hey, we're going to start miking up players and coaches. We're going to do more interactive in-game experiences with the right. product on the field. You've got the rumors that the Big 12 is going fishing for UConn potentially to add, especially as a basketball property, as conference expansion continues to go here. And none of these moves really register on the Richter scale anywhere close to what we saw no. with UCLA and USC leaving or Texas and Oklahoma leaving. But, Dad, these seem to be the acts of desperate men who understand that they've got to try and create value somewhere. And right now, it's really hard to do that in a way with any real substance. And so they're reaching for things right now. It's a tremendously desperate-looking moment in college athletics. This is tinkering as opposed to construction yeah. or reconstruction of – teams leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC or leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big 10. Now we're tinkering. 
the Magnificent Seven in the ACC, you know, were, were, you know, a guy we know, Jim Phillips, who used to be at Notre Dame as the ACC commissioner, and said he's basically talked to the ADs from the Magnificent Seven, and they said, oh, no, no, we're all in this together. And I'm like, yeah, they're all in this together as long as they get more money if they finish higher and are in the playoffs that they're in this together. We're in this together, but... Uh, kind of situation. And yeah, like, like we said, the manufacturing of the tink, or really the tinkering, the miking up and try, trying to think that I think will make things better in the long run for the fans, because we saw that in like either USFL or XFL. That's one of the other reasons I love these other leagues is they try things and miking up players and talking to players on the sidelines or coaches or whatever. That's just something that's a little different. I always talked about loving when I did the Arena League way back when Kurt Warner was in it. We had full access, access to it. They gave us playbooks. Now, it's never going to go that far, but they gave us everything to engage the listener and the fan. And I think that's what college football and even some sports, Major League Baseball, when they're miking up the players, when they have the player out in the field mic'd up. The PGA, when they follow a guy on a hole and they're interviewing him. I love these little innovative things. But again, that's tinkering. That's not changing. That's, that's trying to think of things to make, make it more palatable for the fan when they're watching. It's not going to solve any of the issues we're talking about in college football that we're going to be getting to as far as are we going to end up with this, the two superpowers of the Big, Big Ten and the SEC and then everybody else scrambling for the scraps. Yeah, because I guess that's the, at the crux of this, right? And I got asked this by a bunch of people yesterday doing radio hits and stuff like that is do you see any of these other conferences being able to reinsert themselves in the conversation alongside what we have as the power two right now in the Big Ten and the SEC? And the answer is no. I, I, I think no. that ship is sailed, and I think we've seen that consolidation of power happen. And so, listen, the Big 12 can have bathing ape collaborations and musical artists at the Big 12 championship and try and make this an event and try and create, like you said, those reactive moments, right? Because miking up these guys is different to me than miking up in baseball or golf where you've got long form, it's slower, so these guys can really take you under the hood. With the football version, you're trying to get that reaction, right? Player comes off right after a touchdown like we saw in the XFL and takes you through exactly what happened. Try and capture some of that moment and make it a broadcast product that you can go sell. Like we've seen too, that's the shift with all of these conference commissioners. Now people coming from outside industries, coming from television industry and big business, they're focused on what can we do to try and manufacture some value here? Because I don't know if we see the product and the teams on the field changing that equation anytime soon. And that becomes the weird and daunting part, but I don't think any of it changes meaningfully. And I certainly don't think that no. any of these act these actual teams leave from the ACC and make this thing different and so we're kind of stuck where we are until one of the next big dominoes fall which still likely points back to Notre Dame or Oregon it, it Washington one of the last remaining teams from the Pac-12 but so I'm cool with all the tinkering to try and make it a better product for the fan and try that but where we are that th this is this is I always like to try and paint something to give a, a visual of where we are where we are is there was the Power Five that were all on the beach together, but now the Big Ten and the SEC have gotten on their ships and they have started to go out to sea alone. And it's going to be which of the other teams and the other conferences swim best and are going to dive in the water and trying to swim for the Big Ten and the SEC and try and become part of it. Uh, you know, is, is it going to be a Clemson, a Florida State, or as you mentioned, more Pac-12 teams? What's a Big 12 are going to try and bring in others? You bring in UConn for the basketball. Boy, that would be tough for the football to go and play in the Big 12, but the basketball would fit nicely in there. So these are all just kind of, kind of that little yelping dog yelping around the big dog that's walking down the sidewalk, right? Which is the Big 10 and the SEC. Those are the moves that are really going to have an effect on this sport down the road, not the tinkering going on now, but I, but I don't push that tinkering aside because I love trying to do little changes that will benefit the fan. Yeah, and like you said, that doesn't mean also that those conferences and teams won't be competitive either. UConn is a great example right. of that on the basketball side also, what they've been able to accomplish without all this money, but... We know college athletics, if you haven't noticed before, is about the business and about the money, and that's ultimately what's going to drive the change in all these sports. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, time to finish this thing off the way that we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to end the day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. All that good stuff. DraftKingsNetwork.com. Samsung TV Plus. Let's get after it. And, Dad, let's start off with this. You mentioned a lot going on in sports right now. PGA Championship in progress uh, at the moment. And this is one uh, got called off early last night, was delayed because of a frost, I believe, in the morning yesterday. So you had about 30 players that didn't finish. But the ones that did, man, the live golfers showing out. Bryson DeChambeau uh, ranked currently first right now at four under. He'll tee off at 1130 Eastern today. And watching him do it the way he's done it now, Dad, completely different body. This guy's morphed every which way we know. He's the boy genius. He spent time tinkering with all of his stuff. And the last time we saw him on the PGA circuit, it was when he decided to become beef Bryson and go out yeah. and bulk up and try and hit the ball a country mile. He's leaned out now and said he's kind of done experimenting on himself and just wants to play consistent golf. The problem is that as of late, it had just been consistently bad. So this is a bit of a surprise and an interesting start as you've got him, Scotty Scheffler, and a couple of others near the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, you know, he was a guy who actually was going in long drive contests outside of the PGA season, you know, because he was hitting the ball so far. And everybody saw him. It looked like he backed into an air hose. I mean, he was big. I mean, he was... And there was certainly questions on how he got that big, quite honestly. But... He said he's cut his, his food down from 5,000 calories a day to about 2,900. He's cut out, he's cut out food. He said foods that inflame his body. He said in the first, when he first started this, in the first 24 days, he lost 18 pounds. He looks like a completely different person. Bottom line is, though, he said he's, he's still hitting it. He averaged 313 on his drives, which is less for him, but still, you know, six best uh, at the PGA uh, at the championship right now. You mentioned he's winning. There are guys that are playing right now, finishing their first round. Michael Brock, Justin Rose that are a stroke behind and still playing while they finish their first round and get ready to start the second round. Scotty Scheffler, uh, one behind as well. Dustin Johnson's up there. But you're right, the live guys who, during the Masters, were, interestingly enough, kind of left out of the interview process, like when Phil Mickelson didn't get interviewed after he had played well. And we talked about before this tournament when the interviews before it was mostly PGA guys, the live guys weren't really invited. So there's still that that space and that void that needs to be worked out. But they're they're showing up right now and and I'm sure a lot of people are saying, Who is this Bryson guy that's leading right now? Because it certainly isn't the DeChambeau that we're used to seeing. Yeah, he was afraid to be big. Listen, it's not for everybody. Not everybody can pull it off. And so he tried to come over here, steal big boy Valor, and at the end of the day, couldn't hack it. So I uh, wish him well as a skinny golfer again, back with the uh, normal population of that sport. But, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. Wish him well. Uh, that'll be interesting to continue to monitor there. Like we mentioned, Dustin Johnson uh, was three under coming off yesterday as well. Rory McIlroy struggling mightily, as was John Rahm, the Masters champion, carded, yep. I believe, the worst round by a world number one at the PGA Championship that there had been. So, struggle bus for a couple of those guys, not so much for Bryson DeChambeau. Speaking of people whose names start with BRY, Dad, let's get to that. Bryce, uh, uh, excuse me, Bryce James yeah. mm -hmm. transferring now, leaving Sierra Canyon and going to be heading over uh, to Campbell Hall. He's, yeah, he's going to Campbell. I didn't realize, I, I have seen pictures of him and, and it's definitely Bronny and then Bryce and then LeBron, LeBron being 6'8". Bryce is 6'6 and can hoop. You know, he's 15, so, so he's leaving Sierra, going to Campbell Hall, which is only like 19 miles away. Tuition there, by the way, is $50,000 a year. And according to the source, the James family has made a donation toward the creation of a new multi-million dollar athletic facility on campus. How great is that wherever, forget even LeBron, any rich person, whether it's an athlete or an actor, you get their kid at your high school 
man, you have to be thinking, we just hit the mother load. Our development person is going to go meet with them. We're going to see what kind of, what kind of money we can get out of them. Uh, I, I think that, so they struck gold there. He's going to be playing with Richard Hamilton's son, former NBA star, and Baron Bellamy, son of comedian Bill Bellamy's son. At, out there in L.A., you're getting the guy, you know, always the, the cross of the entertainment and sports uh, sons out there who are playing. So he's going there. He's going to finish his high school career there, and then we'll see where it goes. But uh, I'm interested because all the news had been Bronny because Bronny was, was playing well, and then LeBron wanted to play with Bronny. I'm interested to see what Bryce does. Again, he's 6'6". He's got a pretty nice shot. You see highlights of him uh, playing. I'll be interested to see what, what his future holds. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't really know. We don't really know why he's leaving and transferring right now. This comes basically the same day or the day after Bronny was seen signing his letter of intent to go play at USC, I believe, out in front of Sierra Canyon. And that had all been the buildup. They had been there together. And so... Uh, you know, he's going to go and get good coaching. I saw uh, he's going to play for David Grace, who was also an assistant yeah. coach at UCLA when the balls came through there. And so, you know, had recently done a stint at Vanderbilt. Also, you're going to get all the same good stuff. I'm sure Bron's not going to send his kid somewhere that's not going to get him prepped the right way. But right, it, it is right. strange why these moves get made and to what end. Because you're right, this is not a player whose future we've had forecast in the same way that his brothers had been forecast in front of us for so long. And so, hopefully because if we again if he's not as good a basketball player that's where it can get awkward hopefully this can be something that he enjoys it certainly seems like it's going to happen with a lot less fanfare than Bronny which is probably healthy considering how difficult that attention is in general for all of those guys so wish Bryce uh, well and congratulations to Campbell Hall on all of the new shiny toys that they get to play with now that the James family is over there dad let's get to the third uh because we're talking about money there let's talk about saving money here so This was an interesting phenomenon that popped up on TikTok the other day as a couple took an interesting route to try and make their wedding a little bit more cost effective by having Chili's cater their reception. I think we got a little bit of a video of the bride here sort of explaining the thought process of what went down. We served Chili's at our wedding and this is how much we spent. Our total cost for our wedding food was $1,950 for 99 guests. This also includes five specialty meals that we did for people who were gluten-free, dairy-free, aka me, and people who needed like special items like no dairy at all, only seafood, etc. So let's talk about what went into serving chilies at our wedding. First of all, we loved the price point. I mean, you really can't beat that price point. Like you just can't. It's insane that we only spent that much money for our wedding food, but we did have to do a lot of work on the back end that we weren't really expecting. We had to have someone pick up the food and take it all the way to our venue. We had to have my aunt who thankfully works in food service or we would have been SOL, set it all up, write specific sticky notes, show everyone how to warm things, to cook things appropriately so no one got sick. And that was just a lot more work than we had anticipated. So, She went on to also highlight the fact that her and her husband had initially bonded over a shared love of chilies, and so there was an emotional tie for this as well. But Dad, as someone who you yourself, a victim of the wedding industrial complex, having gone through this just a year ago with your daughter, my sister, Sydney, this has to be an incredible shot at the bow. People taking back their freedom and saying, no, we don't have to spend all the marked up money on the stuff that the wedding industry wants to sell us. We can go on down and get a quality meal at Chili's, have some skill at queso, maybe go with a full-size molten lava cake as the wedding cake at the end and have ourselves a great time. The possibilities are endless there, right? I wish this would have happened before Sydney and my wife, your mother, were planning this Sydney event. And Sydney may have seen this and said, oh, that'd be pretty cool. And, and then I would have crossed my fingers that both Sydney and Chris went along with it. 99 guests are just under $2,000. Oh, my God, how nice that would have been. Because we had about, what, 150, 180 right in that area, I think, at 150 at Sydney's wedding. Man, that would have been nice to just pay that amount for food. I would have loved that. She is a hero. At the end of the day, you know, people will talk about that. Now, some may talk about it in a bad way, but I would talk about it in a good way because I would still have a lot of money in my pocket. Those people are haters and we don't endorse them, but we love you. Download, subscribe, <laughs> rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you Monday.
Boom. Money in the bank.